take communion afterwards. So, Father, I, I want to just say, um, would you bless us all with an understanding of the privilege of studying the Word of God, that we can open it freely and not be uh, condemned for it or even attacked for it. God, I'm grateful that we live in a country that does have religious freedoms, and, and God, I pray that we would never take that lightly. And as we look at the Word today, I pray for each one of us that we would get something of your goodness, that we would discover something new, fresh about you, um, that we would hear what your, your Spirit is saying to each one of us. God, I pray for both strength and anointing for me to preach, um, that you would touch my words in a way that it ministers to hearts, helps them to see something of who you are. So be with us as we look at the Word, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. So we are in a study of the book of Revelation. Um, we just finished the seven churches. Um, how did you guys do with the seven churches? Yeah, pretty good. Kind of in your business a little bit, isn't it? What's interesting about the book of Revelation, when you study it, the seven churches are the part that apply to us. We're going to start chapter four this morning. Moving forward, it's all future. Everything we're going to talk about is stuff that's going to happen in the future. Everything else we've talked about is stuff that has happened in the past. Um, so we looked at the churches. The churches had everything from you've left your first love to you've been persecuted to you're lukewarm to way to go. You're living your faith out really well. So it was deep, wide, broad. We looked at it from the churches being literal churches. So I, I want to remind you that every one of the seven churches we studied were literal cities with literal churches. And they were also types of churches. So if you look at Summit as a church, all of those different components of the seven churches exist within our church. So we'll have people that are struggling with keeping Jesus first. We'll have people who are doing great. We'll have people that are lukewarm. Now, my hope is that we're more in line with the Church of Philadelphia, which was a church that was missional and evangelistic and loving God well. But I said this to you when we were studying this. Every single church thinks they're who? Philadelphia. Every single church. Now, you guys got to help me a little bit. You don't seem so energetic this morning, and neither do I. So one of us needs to bring a little energy, okay? So everybody thinks that they're Philadelphia, though. Every single church reads it and looks at it and thinks, that's me. The reality is when you look at the churches, they all struggled with both the corrections Jesus brought and the commendations that he brought all the way across the board. We also saw tons of language about the titles of Christ, that he's unique and significant. And I shared with you that I thought it was, in my estimation, it's one of the most Christological books that you're going to read in the Bible. In other words, it has more implication about who Christ is, what he does, what his purpose is. And so the next scene is going to be a very supernatural scene. So we're going to start to get in to where John is going to be taken up to heaven. Now, we're going to start to get into the seals and the bowls and the judgments. So this is where the book of Revelation, everybody gets afraid. Somebody say afraid. You don't need to be afraid. There's two reasons why you don't need to be afraid. One is if you're a Christian, God covers you. You're not subject to all of this wrath. The second part is if you're a pre-tribulationist, you won't even be here. Now, we're going to get into that in a few weeks. I was going to do it this morning, but I had a feeling that the crowd was going to be small. Um, and it is. And I wanted to do it with more people in the room. But I, I will cover in the next... Um, actually, I won't be in the pulpit for two more weeks, but I will cover pre-mid and post-tribulation in the next service that I preach. Um, so I, I want to encourage you all, you should have a position about what you think and why you think it, and it should be rooted in Scripture. 
But I will talk to you about all of those. I keep telling you that. And you're like, you're setting us up, Pastor. I am. I know. It's terrible. Um, so mean to you guys. Okay, so the next scene, quite supernatural. John is in the throne room of heaven. So this sermon is called In the Throne Room. Now, what's interesting, when I started to study this, I thought there's more than one time that you have patriarchs or prophets who were in the throne room of God. Ezekiel was in the throne room of God. And Ezekiel's vision of the throne room is nearly identical to John's. Like even the angelic hosts, the things that they see are almost like synonymous. They're almost identically the same. Isaiah has a picture of the throne room, very, very similar, but it's high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple. So the throne room is not a foreign thing in terms of, but it wasn't shown a lot of times in the scriptures. You only see it four, five, six times in all of the scriptures do you see the throne room of God. Hey, Henry, could I get you to take the heat down now? I turned it on because everybody kept their jackets on, but now I see people doing this, which means it's hot, huh? It means the heater worked. I'm sorry, I made it too hot. But what, what you have is the pictures. But do you guys know that as believers, we have access to God's throne right now? Yes. See, it's super important because a lot of times we always think like heaven is very removed and distant. But Paul, well, if you think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, and I'm of that opinion, but the writer of the book of Hebrews says that we can boldly go before the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. So sometimes we see pictures like this, we think, it's really distant and really far away, but the reality is the throne room of God is accessible to us right now. So with that said, let's go ahead and Revelation chapter 4. Let's go ahead and jump in and we'll walk through some of the verses and then uh, we will do some worship at the end and take communion together. So verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first, <clears throat> and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here, and I will show you things that must take place after these things. Now, this after these things term is mentioned a number of times in this particular um, book of the Bible. So it's metatauta in the Greek. It's kind of like a, a pause, like pay attention. If that happens, there's more coming. There's something else that is going to happen as a result of it. So after these things, it's a transitional statement. It means that part's complete, but now pay attention to this. So he's saying, be prepared for the next thing coming. Now, open doors, this is about access to heaven. There are lots of other occurrences in the Bible where it speaks of open doors. Ezekiel's vision in chapter 1 speaks of, I saw a door open in heaven. When Jesus is baptized, all three of the Gospels cover that. They say this, the heavens opened and the Spirit descended like a dove. You see open heavens there. When Stephen is martyred, how many of you guys remember Stephen being martyred? This is Acts chapter 7. He stands up and he preaches a very bold sermon and they stone him to death. And then he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, open heavens. You also see it when Peter has a, an unrestricted diet. Now, you guys know the Jews are strict on their diet. By the way, Americans are not. We eat anything put in front of us, right? And we're like one of the most unhealthy cultures in the world. We eat everything. Anyways, the Jews were not like that. They avoided pork and shellfish and shrimp. How do you guys like shrimp? I love shrimp. I like lobster too. Forbidden in the dietary law of, uh, in Leviticus. So they didn't eat that. Well, Peter has this experience with God where a blanket comes down and there's all this food on it. And he says, no way, I won't eat anything that makes me unclean. But it was an open heaven experience. And God says to him, anything that I've made clean is what? Clean. 
you can eat freely. That was the lifting off of the dietary restrictions from the Jews to the Christians. Um, Jesus' return in Revelation 19, John's vision in Revelation chapter 4, all open heaven experiences. We see that also in the, in the Church of Philadelphia. I see a door open that no one can shut. So it's after these things, this idea that there was something that occurred that was leading into something new. So what you have is something that occurred leading to something new. How many of you guys have something that has occurred in your life and you wish that it were something new? Come on, help me out. I know some of y'all, it was a rough year for many people. So this is about beginnings as well. That's one of the spiritual messages to take away with this. After these things, the metatauta was mentioned in Revelation 1.19, and it's kind of the outline of the book. And in this verse, he says, Therefore, write the things which you have seen, which is past tense, the things which are present tense, that was the churches, and the things which will come, come or take place after these things. So it's past, present, and future. He's saying pay attention because he's trying to teach us the next step of what is going to be going on. Now, verse 2 of Revelation chapter 4, he says, Immediately... I was in the spirit. Literally in your Bibles, that should read, I was in spirit. The the is not actually in the original text. And it says, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one was sitting on the throne. So John is caught up in spirit. Now, do you guys remember when I, when I gave you the introduction to this book? I said, to understand this book, you're going to have to put on a spiritual lens. One of the biggest challenges of being a Christian is we want to figure everything out. How many of you guys want to figure everything out? I want to know all of it before. I want all of the ducks in a row. And without faith, it is, what, impossible to please God. Some of your journey with God, listen, you will not be able to figure out. I don't like that part. I'm smart. I like to read. I like to study. I like putting the ducks in a row. I like when the pieces of the puzzle fit together. And every now and again, there are situations that come up in Scripture or in life where you just have to say, I don't totally understand this but I'm going to put my faith, right, in God, and I'm going to walk this thing out. So John is in spirit, and he's before the throne of God. Now, i got a question for you. Let's see if anybody actually knows the answer. Who's sitting on this throne? God. Well, God, that's, okay. Which aspect of the Godhead, Father, Son, or Spirit, is sitting on this throne? Uh, no, it's actually the Father. Way to go. It's actually the Father, and we know that because in Revelation chapter 5, when John is weeping about who can open the scroll, it says, then the Lamb steps up, so the lamb, and, he, and it's aside the throne. So we know that this is actually the Father that is sitting on the throne um, in this particular case. And, and when, he, when the seals are broken in Revelation 5, 9, it says the Lamb is worthy to break the seals, and that, that is the release or the, the introduction, if you will, of Jesus at the right hand of God in this particular picture. In verse 3, he goes on, and he says, And he was sitting, and, and he who was sitting was like jasper stone. Notice the like. These are all similes. So I want you to put this into your head. John is trying to describe to you a heavenly picture with natural words. Okay? This is true of anybody who's seen it. So when people, I, I said this early on, when people tell me, and it's kind of casual, like, oh, yeah, I saw God, I saw it, and I'm like, Okay, you wouldn't be able to explain it that easily. John is trying to come up with language for what he's seen. And, and he's like, you know, I, I see something. It's, it's very brilliant. It's, it's, it's like jasper stone, which I believe is a reddish stone. I'm colorblind, so you guys all have to do your mouth on that one. And then he says, and, and it's sardis in appearance, which is a red stone. That I know because I studied it. And there was a rainbow around the throne. So that means that everything is very vibrant, colorful. 
maybe beyond anything you've ever seen. So he goes on and he says, a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. So I believe emeralds are green. Am I correct in that? Yeah, so, so there's some green hue there. Around the throne were 24 thrones. So you've got a big throne and around the throne are smaller thrones. And upon the throne, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed with white garments and golden crowns were on their head. So he says like similes, like jasper, like sardis, like rainbow, like emerald. He's trying to describe to you a very supernatural picture with natural language. Now the 24 elders, who are these guys? It's a, it, it is a good question. The truth is there's no actual answer to the question. Now you can look at the scriptures and you can find a reasoning for why you would think it's one of, there's, there's three popular ideas about who the 24 elders. The, the priestly order in, in Israel had 24 as part of the priestly order. So some think it's part of the priestly order. Some think it's, it's the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples representing those guys. I don't think that's a great, great depiction, mainly because John is the one seeing it and he's not in it. So I, I don't know that I think that's a great way to look at it. Some think it's the church. It's, it's a representation of the rewarding of church fathers and patriarchs within the church. The truth is no one knows, but we do know this, that it was a position that was given them. They aren't angels. We know that. They are people. We know that. So there, it's a very unique scene, though. Now, what is important about it, though, is there's thrones. So they're, they're sitting Anytime you're in a position alongside a throne and you're sitting, it's a position of authority. You've been positioned, you've been given positioned authority. So in other words, if you were in the seat and you didn't belong, or somebody come and say, get out of my seat. Like when we were kids, we went to a hockey game and we had nosebleeders. You guys ever bought nosebleeders? This was back when the cane stunk, so nobody would be at the fabulous forum days. So we'd buy cheap seats for like eight bucks, and then we'd go down to like the $100 seats, which I know you can't even buy a seat for $100 today. But we'd go down to the expensive seats, and then somebody would come back with popcorn and be like, hey, you're in my, you gotta go. These seats were assigned by God, positioned. These people had positioned authority. And, and it was given to them by God. So we know that they're people who are rewarded. We know that they're positioned with authority. White garments, this is pure covering. They were people positioned in purity, and they had a responsibility of covering. That's what white garments signifies. And then they had golden crowns. Now, these crowns were Stephanos. They were not diadems. Jesus wears a diadem. These are crowns like, think, think he's talking to a Greek or a Roman culture right now. So they had the, the Olympic Games, if you will, and they would compete against one another. And the victor would get a what? Stephanos, a crown, which was like a wreath sort of a thing. Now, this crown, it says that it was a golden crown. So they put a golden crown on them, but it's only something that was given to them because they had earned it. So something about what these guys did was positioning them. So, so what about this is so unique? One is we don't know. Second is we know that there's reward in heaven. So what does this mean for you and I? Some people go like, Pastor, this is all future. I don't care. Am I going to heaven? Yes, but when you get there, what is Jesus going to hand you to do when you get there? Yeah. I've said this to you many, many times, and I love this discussion. When you get to heaven, what's going to happen? Are you going to float around and, and sing Kumbaya all day? Like, what are you going to do? You're going to get angels' wings? No. What, what are you going to do? See, what you do, what you steward on earth here determines what you will do there. Determines that. Now, I'm of the opinion that, that 
the way that we measure things and the way God measures them is quite different. I am of that opinion. So like I joke all the time, like I'm a preacher, so that means I get a good reward. Well, no. Might mean the person who's you know, vacuuming the floor gets a larger reward. Maybe they vacuumed and prayed. Maybe they did more than I did. I don't know. But God has an economy with which he measures it that he's going to reward us when we get to heaven. So what's your reward? I went to church every Sunday, Pastor. Good job. You're following the scriptures. You're not forsaking the gathering together as the manner of some. Way to go. What are you doing with your faith? How are you making it live, alive in your life with the people that you're around, the people you know, the people you don't know? Because I do believe this, that when we get to heaven, we're going to be measured with what we did with Jesus. How did you love? How did you serve? How did you give? What did you do when I moved you to do it? Oftentimes we have a no, and our no's are often attached to our busyness. How many of you are busy? Can we all get a hand up in the air? Don't tell me none of you are busy, all busy. Actually, we got a few retired folks around. Maybe they're chilling, but the rest of us are busy. I'm just saying. We're yeah, you know what's funny is Bill is on my left. Some of you know who Bill is. Chime in. Bill's retired, and he's one of the busiest guys in the church. Truth is, he's serving people all the time. He's either praying or running a men's group. So my, my thinking of Bill is there's a large reward waiting for that man. Because I know that God looks at him and says, you're faithful. And he, he's always saying yes to what God asks him to do. How is your yes? How's your yes to when God asks you, not what's convenient or comfortable, what's sacrificial? How's your yes? I think that's the way that we should be looking at our own hearts and measuring ourselves. Okay, so we, we've got this throne. We've got elders sitting around the throne. This throne is brilliant. It's colorful. It's got rainbows. And we jump into verse 5, and it says, And out of the throne came flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Can you all say weird? This is weird. I don't care who you are. From a natural standpoint, this is what? Okay, you guys aren't helping me very much. I got, I got Jason finally back after two months of missing church. He's the only one saying weird. Hey, church, when you read this, do you think this is? Weird. It's weird. I'm sorry, I've never seen a creature with eyeballs all over it. I've never seen that. I've never seen the throne of God where I'm at, like, there's so much color and, 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 and it's loud. Ever heard lightning and thunder? Flat, it's bright. It's illuminating everything. It, I'm, I'm sorry, if I'm John, I'm freaking out. This is weird. Like, we read it like, oh, you know, whatever. Maybe it happened, maybe... No, no, no. John is experiencing something of the release of the, the last seven years, if you will, of human existence on the earth as we know it. He's seen something massively supernatural. He's seen something, he's trying to describe it. He says the throne is bright like lightning. You know, when we were flying back from South Carolina I don't know, a month and a half ago, I've never seen a lightning storm like that, especially in a plane. This, it was just glowing the whole time the clouds were, you guys ever seen a lightning storm in the air? It was wild. It was like even our phones couldn't capture it. And I'm thinking that doesn't compare to this. And the loudness, I mean, you know, the, the voices like trumpets come up here. The, the, the loudness, peals of thunder, like 
I think that sometimes we're just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. This is over the top crazy. And there's seven lamps burning, seven spirits. This speaks of the complete expression of God in the four living creatures. Now, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 1 and you read about these creatures, you'll see Ezekiel saw the exact same creatures that John is seeing now. So that's not a new idea. They see exact same pictures of this particular throne room. And what's most notable, anybody who sees the throne room of God, they can't explain it. So sometimes people come to me like, oh, I had a vision of Jesus. And they explain it like it was no big deal. You ever been around something they talk about like, Jesus walked into my room? Now, now please, if Jesus walked into your room, you're luckier than me. He's never walked into my room. He's talked to me quite a bit over the years, but never walked into my room. But, but listen, if you get him that way, awesome. But I'm of the opinion that if you saw the presence of God, you would be a little bit more like, uh-oh. Like when Isaiah saw it, he fell as a dead man. Daniel sees it, he falls as a dead man. John sees it, he freaks out. I mean, John's next scene, we'll get into it next time, he's going to be weeping because he can't figure out what the heck's going on. So some, sometimes I just think, should we seek after those things? Yes, with great intensity, but maybe not make it up. <laughs> I'm just saying, sometimes I wonder if what people saw was not quite the throne room of God. That said, John seeing it, He's trying to describe it, and like the others, none of them are able to describe it with ease. All of them struggle to do it. In verse 7, he goes on, and he says, The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had the face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. Again, notice the word like. He's telling you what he thinks it looks like. It's odd. Okay, but the lion... This represents Jesus being the lion of the tribe of Judah. The calf represents the priestly order. So this is the, the sacrificial, the priestly order. Man is that Jesus is the son of God or the son of man. And the eagle speaks of strength to rise above. So this is a, a, attributed to it being angels who surrounded Jesus' throne and they worshiped him because of who he was. Now, if you study some of the older scholars, the older scholars look for this picture throughout the Bible. So they'll look at different places to say, does this show up anywhere else? Well, many of them have different ways that they look at the Gospels. And they say the, this picture of the, the beast and the eagle and the man um, showing up, the calf and the lion, that it shows up in other places in Scripture. So one of them is this. This is Augustine. And he wrote that Matthew is, the Gospel of Matthew is the lion because it de depicts Christ's royal character. Luke is the ox because it depicts Christ's priestly character. Mark is the man because it depicts Christ's humanity. And John is the eagle because it depicts the mystery of the word of God that ascended down from heaven and back to heaven. So I don't know if you guys ever do this. Like sometimes when I read um, prophetic literature or I read like stuff that's, this is mystical. Can you guys get with me on that? Like even as I'm studying, I'm like, this is confusing, and I'm a Bible student. Like, I teach the Bible. And it's not confusing. Like, I can put the pieces of the puzzle together. But as I'm teaching you, I'm like, what's our takeaway? Like, I know there's end time, but what's our takeaway? And, and as I was praying about that, this was the consideration that I wanted to present to you. You ever thought, like, what is the battle between the dragon and the lamb? That, between Satan and Jesus? What is the battle? And what is that battle for? 
good and evil. Okay, I, I'll say that's part of it. I don't think that's the battle in my, in my estimation. What is the battle? Listen, you're part of the battle. You experience the battle. Sometimes you lose the battle. Sometimes you win this battle. Ultimately, let me say this very clearly, ultimately we all win this battle. But I don't know if you've ever really thought about this. Like, what is the battle? What is the battle over? What's it for? What's the devil want? Power. That's 100% right. I will rise my throne above God's. I will be like God. So I th I'm of the opinion that the scriptures show that the devil's goal is to be higher than God. What's God's goal? Us. Man, I taught you guys. Well, that's awesome. I don't know who said us, but you're right. See, really, the battle, this is a battle. The devil wants God's role, and God wants us. And here's the battle, us. So the devil does this with us. He's like, well, I know God loves them, so if I come after them, then I can really mess with their existence. I can have them asking questions like, does God really love me? I can tempt them to walk away in sin. I can tempt them to find other things, sex or drugs or alcohol or, or thievery or whatever it might be that, that replaces God in their life, that makes them feel safe and secure, money, things, stuff. I can put stuff in front of them that distracts them from honoring God. So listen, listen, this is the place where the devil battles you. It's your will. You know, the one thing that God will never usurp is your will. He'll never force you to love him or serve him. Now, somebody always comes, well, what about Pharaoh? God, you know, hardened Pharaoh's heart. There are times in scripture where you'll see God do something that exceeds that boundary for a purpose for the people or something like that. But in an everyday instance, he does not override your will. He doesn't. He leaves it to you to choose, and this is what the devil gets. Okay, this is where I can get them. I'm going to tempt them in their point of desire. Less of the flesh, less of the eyes. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to mess with them. And he does this with us over and over and over. Like, listen, I've been a Christian a really long time. Next week will be 36 years, 36 years I've been walking with Jesus. Some of you much longer than me. And if you were honest, you would say the battle is always over what I desire, what I want, and will I line up with what God wants? That is the battle. So when you're reading all of this, this language and all of this stuff, and as we keep going, you're going to see it's going to get even more distinctly spiritual than what we studied thus far. You're going to see that there is a gigantic battle between the devil and God, and we are the tug of war rope within that battle. And he's going to try over and over to get you. And, and so what's the victory? So if you're going to say, okay, well, there's a battle going on and I'm getting attacked. And sometimes it's in my physical body and I'm sick. And sometimes it's in my finances. Sometimes it's in my relationships. Sometimes it's in all of those. Those are bad seasons, isn't it? When it's like that, those are hard seasons. I ain't going to lie. But sometimes he's just after us. So what's the reward? What's the victory? First part of the victory. Here's it. Don't forget this. You have a personal, intimate relationship with God. And the devil is trying to convince you that he doesn't care about you. That's the number one thing he'll do. Because if he really loved you, he wouldn't let you go through this. That's what he'll do. And, and you know, I've experienced that battle myself. I'm sure many of you would say the same. Um, the other thing is the that's part of the victory is that you get repositioned with dominion and authority. 
And some of that will be the reward that you experience when Jesus reestablishes his kingdom on earth. And you will, will sit and rule and reign with him. So relationship, dominion, and authority to reign, that's the reward. That means that temptation won't exist in your world anymore. I think that's amazing. Because I don't know about the rest of y'all, but temptation's tough sometimes, isn't it? So that is the battle that's going on. So why did I even point all of that out? What's the point of me saying that? Because the battle is for this. The battle is for praise and for worship. So watch. Let's jump into verse 8, and I'll show you what I mean. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. That is called worship. That's the battle right there. Because if I can get you distracted enough, you'll never say holy, holy, holy. If I can get you distracted enough, you'll never say God Almighty. If I can get you distracted enough for believing that God doesn't care about you, you'll never honor or serve him or worship him as king. So, so like, you know, my, my normal routine, I get up in the morning, I go downstairs, and I read and pray and do stuff like that. Sometimes it's very disciplined. I'm not going to lie to you all. Sometimes it's kind of like, eh, read a couple verses, and it's not as focused as it needs to be. Anybody ever have moments that aren't focused? Yeah, okay, so I'm not alone. Just being real with you all. That's all I'm doing. So... This week, when I went downstairs, I went downstairs one day to pray, and, and not trying to be, oh, God spoke to me, but God spoke to me. Yeah. He said, you're not very serious. Yeah. And I go, well, you know, you, anytime, anytime God says that to you, you're kind of like, well, what do you mean? Like, not that I'm defending myself. I'm like, well, I'm always serious. What are you talking about, Jesus? And he said, no. He goes, you have, you have serious issues going on in your world. You have health issues. You have things going on that you need to pray for, and you complain about them a lot. Did I just tell on everybody in the room? Yeah. I think I did. You walk around going, oh, man, I can't believe stupid doctors. Why won't they get me in? That's what I was doing. Like, I mean, you guys keep me in prayer. I have another doctor's appointment Tuesday, and no, I, like, I have no idea what's going on with me, but I'm not healthy, and I don't know why. Um, so you guys can keep me in prayer. I mean, I'm still functional. I'm doing good. I don't want anybody to be like, what's going on? Just keep me in prayer. That's what I'm asking you to do. So I went downstairs and God said, I, I would really love it if you just bowed before me. And so I, I had this big gray blanket. It, it's the blanket that kind of floats around the sofa as everybody uses it. You know that blanket? My kids are smiling because we all steal it from each other. So I had a big gray blanket, and I threw it on the floor, and I knelt on it. And I took another blanket because it was cold, and I put it over me, and I knelt. And I've been doing that every day this week. Now, am I saying, woo, look at Pastor James. He's like, no, no, no. I'm saying it's so easy to get distracted, the battle, that you forget to worship and say, okay, God, I, I know that there's stuff that's out of order in my body, but you're a healer. So I'm going to call you out to heal. And I don't care if you use a doctor to do it. I'm, I'm indiscriminate. I just want to be well. I don't really care. But I want you to touch my body. And I start, and, and instead of thinking about the things going on in my, my family, I'm praying, like I'm praying, praying. My daughter's getting married. That's really cool. But I started thinking, how often do I actually pray for them? Not just think like, oh, yeah, God, take care of Tyler and, and, and help him with where he gets. I'm talking about praying for them. 
where you're on your knees saying, God, they're about to make the biggest decision they're ever going to make short of accepting you as their savior. And they need your wisdom and they need your guidance. And Heather and I need the same because they keep asking us questions and we want to give them good advice. You, you understand what I'm saying? And then I started praying over my daughter who's got opportunities and my son who's got things going on and, and nothing negative, just praying for God's wisdom and his peace. And I found myself lifting up my elders by name, not cover my elder board. God, speak to Ishmael and Roxanne. Minister to them and their family. Jerry and Caesar, touch their kids. Help them, give them wisdom. Like praying, praying. Not generally praying, specifically praying. I named all of my staff by name. Their marriages by name. Their kids by name. Praying, praying. Not, not just covering generally the two-minute like, oh, God, take care of all my staff, take care of all my elders, take care of all my church. And as people popped up, you all, I prayed. Like, Jason, I've been praying for you like crazy. It's, it's glorious to see you here this morning. It really is. And for those of you who have been praying with us, now, why do I tell you all that? That's the power and the authority of the church. You can get in that tug of war and lose the authority that God has given you. Because you get self-consumed, selfish, dis disheartened, hopeless, frustrated, angry. I mean, I could list a whole list of things that come out of us when we're not faith-filled. And I know that the unraveling of that is worship and prayer. I know that. I mean, I've been walking with Jesus a lot of years. I'm not a stupid man, but I'm also not the smartest either because he had to tell me, get on your knees, which means I can't be that brilliant or I would have already been recognizing that. So listen, the battle is you. The battle is you. God loves you and the devil hates you and he hates God more than he hates you, but he knows you're the avenue to try to get at God. He knows that. So because he knows that, he tempts us. He comes after our will, our decisions, our lusts, all of that stuff. And if we don't temper those things, we lose this spiritual battle. We don't lose eternity. That's not what I'm saying. We lose fruitfulness in this earth. We, learn, we lose being able to walk above it instead of underneath it. Does this make sense, church? Help me out. I'm trying to help you understand that one of the ways you get out of seasons like this is you go back to the holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You go back to worship. You prioritize and give him preeminence in your life. He, he, listen, that holy, holy, holy term is only ever said to God and of God. Nowhere else in scripture is a repetitive phrase like that used to describe anything, let alone God. Only that one. Holy, 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 three times. Why three times? Because it's worship of the Trinity. That's what I believe that to be. You're celebrating the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the way that it's released into your life. It represents the worship of the Godhead, who was and who is and who is to come. Listen, this is the covenant name of God. When Moses said, who the heck are you, God? He said, I am which we've studied this a lot, but that I am is I was, I am, and I will be. Listen, I don't know what your life is facing, but you know this, God is in your next moment. You got to know that. He's in your tomorrow. He's in your next week. Like, like man, tell a little bit of me, which is not what I want to do, but it paints the picture. I know me better than anybody else. Let me put it that way. 
So I woke up one morning, 2 a.m. I'm telling a little bit of stories, and then we're going to get into worship in a minute. And when I woke up, immediately when I woke up, I had this, this sense of fear. Immediate. I'm like, fear? Like, what the heck? It's 2 in the morning. Just unsettled. This, this going on, that's going on. Then my, my head, like, you know, what, you know, health, just everything. Just, and it happened the first night, and I kind of ignored it. Like, I went downstairs, and, and I think I read a little bit, and I fell back to sleep. And I woke back up at like 5 a.m. or something like that. Happened the very next day. And the second time it happened, I went, wait, this is spiritual. This is a spirit of fear. And I know the scriptures say God has not given me a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and a sound mind. So this time I laid in bed and I prayed. I didn't even get out of bed. I wasn't going to ruin the warmth. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to keep what I've got. And I just started praying. I, like, first I just rebuked fear. I, fear, I rebuke you. I rebuke the thoughts you're placing in my head that something is not going to work or this isn't going to work or this situation God can't fix or whatever. Like, I just started naming all the things that are troubling my heart. And I named them by name. And I, and I prayed with Scripture because the authority of Scripture is what breaks the power of the enemy. And I prayed that way. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. And I prayed that God's perfect peace would replace the fear. Not only that, that he would give me authority over the troubling things that are pushing me to even wake up fearful. Like, what is that? Why is this even in my home? You're not welcome here. And I, God, would you post angels about my property? Would you guard and protect it? Would you guard and protect my thinking, my heart, my wife's thinking, her heart, my kids' thinking, their heart? Would you protect our physical beings, our stuff too? God, would you post angels about our property to guard and protect us in all our ways? Would you lift the spirit of fear right now in Jesus' name? And just like that, it was peace, and I went back to sleep. About 10 minutes of praying. It wasn't like two hours. You know, maybe there'll be days where it's two hours, but this wasn't. And it made me think this. How many of us are in that world where we just don't even recognize that it's spiritual? And that the unraveling of that, that you're the tug-of-war rope between heaven and hell. You are. God loves you. devil hates God. And you're the tool he uses to get back at God. But when you recognize it, you can pray with the authority that's been given us. And I only tell those stories not to say, look at what I did right, but to say, this is how we do it. This is how we, this is how we navigate seasons that are uncertain, that maybe aren't as clear as we'd like them, where the ducks aren't all in a row. This makes sense? Yeah. So that's my encouragement to you. This is the covenant name of God. I'll always be with you. But listen, God knows what you're going to eat later today. You're like, oh, I hadn't even thought about lunch. Thanks, Pastor. You know, but, but he knows. He knows what you're going to think later. He knows the person that's going to cut you off on the freeway and how you're going to respond. He knows the text message you're going to get that's like, wow, that's awesome. He knows the one that you're going to get where you're like, ooh, you start to write the mean response and then you delete it because God doesn't let you send it. He knows those things before they ever occur. And he says, will you bow before me and trust me to shift those things in your world? And the way that you do that is you do that through worship. You press back in to prioritizing who God is. And verse 9, and, and we'll get toward wrapping this up now, it says, in verse 9, it says, And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they will worship him who lives forever and ever. 
and they will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord our, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and because of your will, they existed and they were created. So, so listen, you're like, how do I pray, Pastor? Pray that. Pray that right there. I'm being 100% serious with you. Revelation 4, 9 through 11, open it up, read it out loud, make it a prayer. God, I come to you and I give you glory, honor, and thanks. Glory, that is an opinion or a judgment of his worth. That's literally what it means. When you give God glory, he's already glorious. You're just agreeing with it. It changes you. It doesn't change him. God is already glorious. You give him honor, it means that you're actually valuing what he's done for you. Jesus paid the price for you. You're valuing it. You're putting it with great emphasis in your own life. And then you do thanks, and that's a giving of thanks. That's a willful decision to say thank you. You know, i got to be honest. It's hard for me to say thank you, God. I haven't felt good for three months. I don't know. You ever been sick for a long period? It stinks. I don't like it. But I'm like, okay, what are you teaching me? Let's go back to a humble heart instead of a, a judgmental, critical heart. What are you teaching me? What am I learning? What do you, what? Okay, I know you to be good. So if this is lasting this long, I'm not getting it. So what am I missing? What am I missing? Because not only do I not want to be well, I definitely don't want to be opposed to God. Amen? I don't think any of us want that. So you give glory, you give honor, you give thanks. Like these are all pictures of worship. Listen, this is in the heaven before the throne of God. Even the elders who God positioned with that authority, they fall down and bow in worship. You know, sometimes um, I'm going to say something strong. I do not mean it to be mean, but I'm going to say something strong. Sometimes I'm troubled by our intentionality with worship as a church. And I, and I mean that everything from what time you show up to whether or not you're engaged when you are here. Um, I, I love that we have a cafe to serve people. I don't always think that's the best place because I go by the cafe and people are chatting and talking. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be really like, if Jesus is the reason we exist here as a church and we're here to worship him, shouldn't we be in the place where worship is occurring? Now, somebody's going to write me an email, and that's okay. I'll take the appointment. I'm your pastor. My job is to say, you're not going to grow there. You're not going to grow there. There's a different level of intimacy. Those of you online, I love that we can do this with you. Never being in the house is not wise for your spiritual growth. I love, that we, I love technology. I love that you can watch me Wednesday. I'm pretty awesome. You should. No, I'm playing. I'm but I love that that, that that is available. I'm being really serious. But there is something about the community of faith and the presence of God that is different. And I know that some people are doing this right now, la, la, not listening. Yeah. That's okay. Jesus still loves you. But you won't get free. You won't win the battle where you're the tug of war rope between heaven and hell if you take worship that lightly. Yeah. What if all those elders around the throne went, wow, this is really cool. I'm not kneeling. What if they did that? I, I mean, I'm thinking they wouldn't. But what if they did? What if they just said, I'm just not interested in doing that? Because a lot of us do that. We make choices with what we do with our energy. See, see, I, I, man, one last thing that's mean, and then I'm going to be nice again. 
When people tell me they don't like worship or they don't engage it, I love you. We're not worshiping you. We're not. Listen, we're not worshiping you. I know different songs connect differently. I know different styles of music connect differently. No problem. If we don't connect with you, go find a place where you do. Because you're being robbed of a critical component of your spiritual life, which is worship. You, l listen, you're going to get to heaven. All the people around the throne are all worshiping. The angels are worshiping. The, the elders are worshiping. Everybody's bowing. There's lightning bolts and flashes and glorious light, and nothing's happening but worship. That is the avenue to freedom. I can't emphasize that enough. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to say I think we get really comfortable with it. We get really casual with it. We think God will take whatever we bring, and God is really gracious. Maybe he does. Maybe I don't understand him like I think I understand him. But I do know this for my own heart, so this is just me. Maybe this applies to you, but it's me. When I come in and I'm intentional, I experience him. When I come in and I'm not intentional, I don't. It doesn't matter if Santosh is leading, Autumn's leading, Steve is leading. doesn't matter who's up here. If I'm intentional, I experience God. And if I'm not, I don't. Has nothing to do with style. has to do with heart. Okay. We good? Okay. Not trying to be mean again. I'm just trying to say we should raise our intentionality with how we approach worship, the throne of God, and his person. See, this thing around the throne is all a picture of worship. Um, you know, remember that this picture is wild. Like, there's an open door in heaven, God's voice. There's trumpets. There's thunderbolts, lightnings. There's the, the seven lamps burning. There's the seven spirits of God, the completeness of God's presence. There's holy, holy, holy. And I think maybe what I would like for us to do, and Santosha, if you would come, um, I would like us to spend some time reprioritizing who God is in our world. I told Santosh, I said, I want to close with worship. I said, and I said, maybe a song or two of your choice. Could be the set he did, could be something, sing a new song, I don't care what he does. But what I want us to do is just for the next five or 10 minutes to put our hearts down before God, to worship him. Like if you want to sit in your seat, no problem, but be worshiping. You want to stand, great. Be worshiping. You want to kneel? Just be worshiping. Lift your hands. Don't lift your hands. This is a time when you celebrate who God is and what he's done, and then you take it from there, and we're going to take communion, which is the greatest sacrifice that he made so that we could have that relationship thing that I spoke of with him. Does this make sense, church? Yes. So I want to pray for us, and we're just going to spend, like I said, a couple songs worshiping, then we're going to take communion together. So, Father, um, first I want to pray that nobody heard anything that I just said as judgment. Because I know in my own humanity, when people say things strong to me, I get defensive. And nothing that I sent was, said was meant to be anything other than loving. And, and Holy Spirit, I would say, man, if the way I said it was wrong, you say it the way you do because you're really good at it. But God, in this moment, I pray that as we close a year and start a year with an intent to say, holy, 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 the one who was, who is, who is to come, that we would 
Put our affections, our intentionality, our, our direction that we would fix our eyes on you, Jesus. The author, the finisher of our faith. God, I, I pray for hearts all over the room right now that some are downcast, some are frustrated, some are angry, some are sick, some are physically sick, some are emotionally sick, some are spiritually sick. There's people in the room that are battling with life, with relationships, with addictions. And God, I, I do pray in particular over the power of addictions, whether it's sexual or substance or, or some other thing that is, you know, even prescribed medication stuff. God, that you would break the power of addiction, you'd bring freedom. God, I, I pray that the way that you set me free 36 years ago, that you would set others free the same way. Not with 30 prayers, but with one. God, liberate me. And that you would do that for them. God, I pray for us as we head into worship and the cares of our hearts, our, our children, our marriages, our extended families, our loved ones, our friends, so many areas of our life that, that weigh us down because we desire things for them that you would desire that are godly, they're good. And we watch the gap and, and it weighs our hearts down. I pray that as we worship in this window, that we would position you on the throne where you're supposed to be. But we would also take our cares and we would cast them upon you because that's what you said you would do if we would cast them on you that you would care for us. So Holy Spirit, we give you invitation right now. Would you come? Would you come? Move on hearts. Move on minds. Holy Spirit, come. Give you permission and authority. Come. Listen, if that's your prayer, you start to ask him to come. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you in this place. We invite you to come and change our hearts, convict us of sin, strengthen us. We, we invite the spirit of healing to be released in this place. Ah uh -huh. 
give you all the glory. We'll give you all the glory. All is yours. We'll give you all the glory. Give it all to you. We'll give you all the glory. Oh, the 
saints and angels bow before
night, night and day, let incense. Let your praises rise up. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense. Sing it out, day and night, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. In every age I will praise you, Father. Oh, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Oh, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night. Night and day, let incense arise. Oh, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all, Jesus. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve glory. All glory. Majesty, honor, praise, adoration, Lord, all glory. take a minute right now and I want you to cast your cares on him we just worshiped him that's what you just did you just shifted the intentionality of your heart now I want you to think through the, the areas of your life the ones that you're battling with could be anything anything I'm not even gonna list whatever your struggles are I want you to do something like this. Jesus, help me with and tell him. Jesus, help. Maybe you have a big list. Maybe your list is one or two. 
whatever it is, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Just take a minute and do that right now. amazing about moments like offering God your your heart and the concerns of your heart is that he collects them and it's a very strange thing to me but it, it says in chapter 5 of Revelation that when they had taken the book and the four living creatures the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and each one was holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense which are the prayers of the saints so when we offer those things to God, he keeps them. They're important to him is what I'm saying to you. It's important to him that you ask him to help your marriage. It's important to him that you ask him to help your children. It's important to him that you ask him to help set you free from addiction and bondage. It's important to him. He wants you to be liberated more than you want to be liberated. God, I pray that the knowledge of us offering to you our burdens is, I don't know, just change, gives us a sense of peace and value that you care about every detail of our life. Jesus, I, I pray that as we start to turn our attention toward communion and distributing communion and taking communion together that, that the value of what we're about to partake in that it would have um, just greater or deeper meaning for each one of us that we've worshipped you we've cast our cares upon you and, and now we're going to celebrate the thing that you did for each and every one of us So I'd like to ask some of you to go ahead and distribute communion. Um, 
Santosh will lead us while communion is being distributed and then once it's done, we'll all partake together. See on the hill of Calvary My Savior bled for me My Jesus set me free Look at the wounds that give me life Grace flowing from His side No greater sacrifice What He's done What He's done All the glory and the honor to the Son my sins are forgiven my future is there i praise god for what he's done receive for the freedom he has won even death is dead and his life has overcome Speak, say the name above all names Over every broken place He is risen from the grave What He's done What He's done all the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. Oh, I praise God for what He's done. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's What he's done, what he's done, all the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven, my future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done.
Jesus did together as a church is something you can do alone at home. Um, no, you won't have Santosh leading you in worship at home, even though you probably like that. But you can put a song on your phone or sing a song yourself. You can cast your cares on him yourself. You don't need me to lead you to do that. And I'm happy to do it, but it's something you can do at home. Communion is something you can do at home. You can take communion on your own. Yes, there's something very powerful about us doing it as a community. But if you're hitting a wall in your own life, it's okay. Worship, cast your cares, and take communion. A little bit of juice and a piece of bread or something like that. I don't think Jesus is like, that's not the right cracker. I don't think he's thinking that. I think he's looking at the intent of your heart to say, I'm, I want to remember the sacrifice that you gave to me. You know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He blessed it and then he said to them, take and eat this and do it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and eat. thank you that you were willing to take the, the wrath of God attached to sin and put it on your body instead of ours. Your word declares that by your stripes we're healed. What happened to you is so that we could receive spiritual, physical, emotional healing so that we could be well this side of heaven, not just in heaven. I want to say thank you that you were willing to do that for us. Afterwards, Jesus took the cup and he blessed the cup and he said to them, this is a cup of an everlasting covenant. No longer will we have to sacrifice on an annual basis for the forgiveness of sins. We just bow our hearts before him and tell him we're sorry. And he forgives us. He took that cup, he said it's a new covenant. He blessed it, and then he gave it to his disciples, and he said, drink and do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and drink. Heaven 
blessed. Happy New Year. Have a great rest of your day. Eat too much food. And um, yeah, keep Jesus first. Amen. 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 God bless.